Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Lee Carlo, and it's very special this week because we are not joined again by Jeremy <laughs> Fist. That doesn't mean it's special in a good way or special in a bad way. I thought that you and I uh, tackled Richard Jewell with aplomb. Uh, wouldn't you agree, Lee? I think we thought we did a great job on that one by yeah. ourselves. Aplom, and let's just take a minute for our listeners to look up that word. I'm sorry, just trying to expand my vocabulary a little bit. Voc- vocabulary, <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, uh, this week you can do aplom, but not vocabulary. This week we are reviewing the Safdie brothers' Uncut Gems, starring Adam Sandler. Uh, we're going to talk about that movie for a little bit, and maybe the Safdie brothers in general, and then we're going to move on to our top five antiheroes. How you doing, Holly? Right. How's it going? Hey, Howard. Good, good Pesach, Howard. All right, Larry, you're a Jew again. Welcome back. I made a crazy risk, a gamble. And it's about to pay off. So I want the Celtics to cover. I want the Celtics halftime. I want Garnett points and rebounds. What do you know? I don't know. I just know. Well, I'll tell you what I know. That's the dumbest fucking bet I ever heard of. I disagree. I disagree, Gary. Uh, I don't want to step on our top five a little bit, but I'm going to take a big, giant leap and just do that right now. Um, Excellent. I thought a lot during after this film, I was reminded of um, There Will Be Blood. And not because the so movies share a quick tone. Change here. Huh? I'm gonna make a quick change here to yeah. my top five. <laughs> I don't, you know, and it's and, and it's not because of the tone or the style or anything. They're very different films. Um, but we are just uh, so much in both of these. Like the film just hinges on the protagonist, right? We're with mm-hmm. them for every scene in both of these films. Um, they're just the, the the movies are about these guys and nothing else, really. Um, and I'm wondering. Uh, I don't have like a, a, a perfect, like succinct question for you, but I'm wondering how you feel about that. And, and, and we're, I'd like to direct you a little bit in the sense that, you know, is it, 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 it seems like it could be a very perilous thing to like, but so many, so many of your eggs on your main character, because like you can't cut away to anything else. And I remember hearing, I, I listened to an interview of the Safety brothers that I would bet you also listened to, um, that, talked to when they were developing this film for like you know 10 years yeah they occasionally you know there were other drafts of the script where they went other places with the character but you know in in revising it they went they sort of narrowed it down to this being howard's story um and and i'm wondering you know what you think about that how that landed how that landed for you can you think of examples where that hasn't worked um what do you like it uh, go ahead and share your thoughts. Well, well, tech, what's really interesting, actually, and I'm glad you brought up There Will Be Blood because you may not remember this, but you obviously know now that There Will Be Blood is arguably my favorite movie of all time, but it was far from that when I first saw that movie. It was a movie that I maybe you could even argue was a little disappointed in when I left. Mm. Um, and you remember, of course, what my quick opinion of Uncut Gems was when you asked me last week before mm-hmm. we knew we were going to podcast about it. I said that I may have been a little disappointed by Uncut Gems. So you just bring that up makes me wonder if maybe this type of movie takes some time for me to really digest. Sure. And Uncut Gems is sort of proving to be that because uh, I don't know that I'm entirely disappointed in it 
now a week later. Uh, but we'll, of course, get more into that. I think what's kind of fascinating about a, a movie that sort of puts all its eggs in one basket with that is, and I mean, when it comes to Uncut Gems especially, is, you know, it, you rely so much not only on the writing of your character, but on the performance of your actor. So Paul Thomas Anderson cast a little guy named Daniel Day-Lewis to take care of his job. Right. And and uh, the Safdie brothers, who are nowhere near as established, respected, and influential as Paul Thomas Anderson, went with Adam Sandler, who's super famous, but, you know, may not be considered a top-tier actor. I mean, I actually like Adam Sandler a lot when he takes on roles like this, but in, you know, the grand scheme of things, I don't think people necessarily look look at him that way. So, you'll hear me talk about this a lot with this movie. The Safties took so many risks here. And I think casting Adam Sandler and just hinging their movie on him was one of those things. And maybe that's why it takes some time to get used to and to digest. And, you know, they're movies that you have to sort of let stew. Because, again, my first instinct leaving this movie was it was claustrophobic. It was like I was getting noise claustrophobia. And Adam Sandler is very well known for yelling and his outbursts and I found that at times to be obnoxious so you know I think when you look at this movie a bit on the surface you know focusing so much on that one character and not kind of evolving some things and and developing developing things around him made me think this movie didn't have all the pieces going for it really Okay, well, that's interesting. I mean, I think... Um, Again, that was my initial impression. I want to get more into how, I'm, obviously, how I feel now, but we'll, we'll wait on that. I hope I answered your question at least a little bit. You did. Um, I was listening to another podcast we talk about a lot, the Director's Guild, the DGA podcast, and it was an interview mm-hmm. with um, uh, Clint Eastwood on Richard Jewell by uh, Scott Cooper, who we've talked a little bit about on this podcast, and they ended it with, you know, Clint's a great director but you know he's he's an old man and so scott had to walk him through a lot of these questions and um you know scott cooper did a lot most of the talking and and, and he said at the end of it he's like you know i i i think you'll agree mr eastwood that filmmaking is uh, an emotional journey not an intellectual one or an emotional exercise not a not an emotional or not an intellectual one and i think you know what you're talking about Logically, it probably would make more sense. Here we have these ideas. Let's um, explore them with other characters. Let's let's evolve. You know, in in, in filmmaking in general, you know, like like having um, a breadth of interesting characters is always a nice thing, and then exploring different worlds and and or sorry, different lives and and things mm-hmm. like that is is nice, and it, it makes you um, it makes you a it gives you the sort of the tools to go down different paths and make your movie more interesting. But I do think it's a much more effective emotional journey with when you stay with Adam Sandler the whole time. And I mean, you notice, you know, the similarities between this film and the Safety brothers previous film, good time, um, are, are, are pretty, are are pretty like they're, they're very similar films in terms of feel. And you have the same thing going with that particular film where you're with this, character um, played by Robert Pattinson who is a, a bit of an anti-hero as our top five indicates um, hopefully I didn't ruin another one for you there uh, <laughs> and 
you know, you never, you never leave him. And so I think that one of the benefits of that is that you, you get invested in this character. And that's part of the uh, whole ideal uh, idea of an anti-hero is that you, you start to care about him. It's that old Hitchcock adage where like, you know, you spend enough time, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing of course, but you spend enough time with the villain and you start to like, you know, root for them. Yep. And I think that that's key to this. This movie isn't really interested in the, the what you were describing, like, you know, maybe even to the detriment of at least your enjoyment of the film. But you do have to admit that, like, I think it's the better choice emotionally. Yes. And and I'll tell you what the what grew on me or has grown on me. That is, I think I would say is got to be really hard to do as a director. And Paul Thomas Anderson does it you know, maybe better than anybody with There Will Be Blood, but through this one singular character that we follow this whole movie, we we really are enveloped and learn about this world that they're portraying. And in this case, it's kind of the Diamond District of New York and this, this uh, world of, like, high-end diamond dealing and gambling. And I, I think, like, that sort of... I found myself, like, thinking about that area of New York where I don't know where 45th street or something. I don't know where that, I don't know New York very well. So yeah, I, I think that's right. It's in the midtown, right? Um, so, but like thinking about like, uh, what is it? Like, I feel like if I walked down that street, it would look like every other street in New York to me, but they just capture it in such like an amazing visceral way through, through Howard Ratner's eyes that I was like fascinated by this kind of world they created. And I think that's hard to do through one character. And that's why I was saying like leaving this movie, I was like, Oh man, if they had like given a little bit more to that character of Arnold's and like why he, and like what the deal was that he, why did he need money from Adam Sandler? Yeah. And like, uh, Adina Menzel plays his wife. Like she's sort of, you know, undeveloped, like maybe that family dynamic could have been more interesting if they, they gave that a little bit more credence. And even Lakeith Stanfield, who I liked in this movie is not real put together. Like I, I was thinking, I was like, God, like this movie had so many like pieces that were missing that really could have, made this movie whole and then in the days and the week that have followed I've been like no that's not right this movie is whole it's just all shown through Adam Sandler's eyes and if you can get through all the noise and chaos in this movie you realize that and all that noise and chaos is intentional but I think it just takes like some time for you to breathe and get away from the anxiety of this movie to appreciate it yeah and you know, like I said to you before, like I was a little disappointed, but I have a lot more respect from this movie now than I did walking out of the the movie theater. Sure, yeah. Um, okay, well, on that point, I mean, you do address the um, the anxiety um, that we that we feel while watching the film, and it it does it's it is like good time. It's like I mean, there are these moments of respite from it where you know we're still with our main character, but we they, you know they experience a little bit of a break, and we do with them Mm -hmm. um but sort of going back to your point about you know not be in this film not expanding with different characters do you feel like the tone you know that that just that that I, i was thinking about like how how good this movie is and how great the reviews have been and how um you know my feelings about it and you know, I was thinking there must be someone out there that just doesn't respond well to this, right? Like if my parents yeah, went to go see this, question. I'm yeah. not sure that they'd like it, you know? And some people just must be turned off by this kind of feeling. And um, uh, 
so, you know, Katie and I went to go see this film, you know, Friday night after work. I think we both, uh, you know, I think she liked it a lot. And then uh, we watched The Souvenir Saturday night. And then, you yeah. know, we started that movie pretty early. It's a pretty, it's a, it's sort of the opposite of this slow movie. Slow movie, burn. Yeah. <laughs> um, And then we finished that and I'm like, you know, I, I should probably watch Good Time because, you know, we're doing the podcast on this movie. And she's like you know okay well i i'm interested in watching it but i don't know how long i can sustain you know if it's anything like <laughs> you know uncut <laughs> gems i don't know how long i can yeah. sustain you know being you know watching that film and in, in fact we finished it t- together without softman which i th- thought was great kudos to kitty but i can imagine that some people just don't are not able to bear this or even are just turned off by it and so what i'm wondering is do you feel like i mean is anything lost with this tone with this tempo with this style this is the the first note that i made on this movie was that that i i just i get really excited when a movie is able to make me feel anxious and like like claustrophobic but i don't like that feeling nobody does so I like I had that reaction leaving this movie. I was like, God, like I just I I didn't like all the noise. Like I wanted th- certain things to just stop and breathe. And as I was watching the movie, I didn't feel like I liked that. And it and it was and then I gave myself that question. I was like, Okay, is it good? And I don't like it. They did it right. They did made the movie how they wanted to make it, and it was effective. But I didn't like how I felt. So it, it it's a great question because it does leave me wondering like. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely audience members who are going to leave this movie being like, what the fuck? Like, I I, I couldn't handle that movie. I, I, you know, it's one of those movies that, you know, you see the, uh, the little uh, disclaimers when you walk into the theater that says, like, this movie is going to give you a seizure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, for sure, like, this is a movie that can have a negative effect on an audience. And I think, like I said, I was going to mention risk a lot. That was a risk the Safties were willing to take here. And... In the end, I think it paid off. And I think there's a lot of things that they did that, like, really could have gone bad. And that may be chief among them, that they were going to make a movie, for better or worse, that was chaotic and nonstop and had you either on the edge of your seat or keeled over your seat with your eyes covered, like, trying to catch your breath. Yeah. And look, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a good thing in terms of this movie because it's what they wanted to do. And I think... Uh, the the means justified the end, um, or the end justified the means rather. And then, but at the same time, I can totally sympathize with anybody who leaves this movie being like, I couldn't handle that. Do you think? I mean, I guess. So I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm wondering. I still feel like. Did you? Do you feel like you answered my question though? Like, do you think? Do you think that like they lose? Do you do you do you lose the ability to do anything? In particular, a, that's important. As a filmmaker? Yeah. Like, I mean, I was just, I was just thinking. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do criticize this movie. I mean, and, like, there's no character arcs in this movie at all. Yeah. Like, you, you know, so, you know, Adam Sandler as Howard Ratner is an anti-hero. You spend enough time with him and you start to root for him. But why? You know, I yeah. mean, what is, what's, what has he learned in this movie? If anything, he like just doesn't learn. I mean, that's the essence of his character. He just never learns right uh, from his mistakes. So there's, I think that, yeah, there's some, there's maybe some opportunities there to make, you know, create something with their characters. But at the end, the end of the day is that wasn't really the movie they were making. 
you know, this character isn't supposed to change. And I think we'll get into some spoiler territory later and we'll give a, a very clear and present alert for that for anybody who hasn't seen the movie. But, um, you know, I think that the way this movie is made is is the movie. I mean, that's it's the the energy of this movie is as much a character as anybody else. Yeah, I would agree with you there. I mean, we will get into that later, but the the ending is certainly like the one kind of teachable moment. You know, like the right. the, the sort of any morality or sort of learning moment in this film happens sort of right at the end, and and once you understand it, you realize that's really the only time it could happen. Um, okay, well, so let's get into it more. Uh, got any questions for me <laughs> um so what i did in fact listen to the uh same interview as as you did mm-hmm. and what i found really interesting and again i'm going to come back to it this this what i found to be sort of an amazing risk that they took to create this added level of realism was was a 45 page adr script right <laughs> to, to like not just have like altman-esque dialogue but like what what they describe in the uh, in the interview is is Altman on coke, yeah. Um, and I was in I was like, okay, like is that all right? I get it. Like you you want to create this like realistic feel of these these um, diamond dealer rooms in in New York, and it's people talking over each other in different languages and cell phones going off and like you know they they focus very much on like okay let's go have this private conversation and movies that people say that but it never is a private conversation and here they want to make sure that it, it seemed like it was and i wondered as i was listening to that i was thinking i was like okay i was like right, like some of that makes sense but i didn't feel like that mattered those were the moments where i was like turn this movie down mm. like let me hear what's going on in the movie and i'm wondering if you felt like that stuff was effective i mean i'm all for the Altman-esque dialogue and you know everybody talking over each other. I think that stuff is is really cool and uh, an interesting type of cinema. But when it when it then like jumps into chaotic and loud and just n- noise in general, I wonder if it's as effective. It's interesting you bring that up. I I bought recently bought. I think I might have put it up, put it on our social media when I when I received it. But I recently bought the Blu-ray to. Um, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which is mm-hmm. famous for that Altman overlapping dialogue, but it's all mixed in a, in mono, so it's one channel of, so- of sound, and it is so hard to. Have you seen that film? <laughs> yeah, I have not actually. So it's you know it's but you know the the plot. It's like uh yep. he's like he runs a brothel and she's a prostitute and blah blah blah. Anyways, it's a western, but it's set like out here in the sort of eighteen yep. hundreds, and there's just like every, they're in these you know these small confined rooms with wooden um you know walls and everybody's talking over each other and it's like impossible to hear what people are saying i did not find that in uncut gems i i having the, listened to that the interview, sound editing was amazing really well done and and yeah. having listened to that interview i was like oh i need to listen out for that next time so it wasn't distracting enough i think it did a great job of sort of setting the scene for those you know um those diamond rooms or whatever what are they called uh I don't know. Showrooms. Showrooms, whatever they're, whatever they are. Um, But uh, yeah, it was just, it was so chaotic. And like, uh, I I liked it because it it felt, um, I mean, I think the things are obvious. It's the realism, et cetera, the the chaos that that creates. But you, you, uh, there was something, especially like around Kevin Garnett, like when he came in and like, there wasn't 
a sort of hushed tones where everybody was listening to him. I really liked that. I'm not really sure yeah, nobody, why. Nobody really cared. Yeah, that nobody Kevin, really gave a shit that this okay, guy. They, they is, did such a good job with him. Like I mean, he was. Kevin Garnett. It was so fucking good at this movie. He was, and 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 I I think like what's amazing is that like Jeremy sent a text a while ago about when we were watching the uncut gems trailer and he's like it looks like kevin garnett is like the main character in this movie i know and he is a significant character I but i was, was like who sent that actually oh maybe it was yeah but it, i was like and he kind of is and i was like i'm like okay like this movie i and watch this trailer and i'd be like this is a good trailer and i didn't really know a lot about the safety brothers but i'm watching and i'm like god like adam sandler is in this movie fucking kevin garnett is in this movie like what the yeah. fuck is this but, like, God, did it work so well with Kevin Garnett. And he – and I think, like, they probably – they did, didn't give him really a lot of lines. Like, and maybe that was intentional. But the lines he had, he delivered fine. They put him next to Lakeith Stanfield in almost every scene. And, and Lakeith Stanfield's a good actor. And I think, you know, good actors make other people good around them. And Sandler did that as well in this movie. So I think that, again, another risk, casting an NBA star. I mean, they had – they had they wanted Amari Stoudemire to begin with. They had they had Kobe Bryant uh, at one point that they were considering, and wasn't that the most annoying of things ever that Kobe Bryant couldn't do it because he wasn't interested in acting anymore? He was interested in directing. Ugh. Fuck, <laughs> like, Jesus! But um, honestly, I think that Kevin Garnett was better than any of those three guys absolutely. that they mentioned would have been. But like like Amari Stoudemire was in. Um, one of those uh, was in one of those Apatow movies, wasn't he? Um, wasn't he? He was. Uh, in, I think this is forty, maybe. No, I think he was in the one with Amy Schumer. Um, no, LeBron was in that one. <laughs> no, and Amari Sotomayor is in maybe. that same movie. Speaking of speaking of good performance from NBA star, LeBron James was so good in that in uh, that Amy Schumer. Movie. He was fine. What the heck he is was, that called? He I've was heard, so funny. What was it called? Like uncut? Or, no, not uncut. That's uncut this gems. <laughs> Whatever, um, um, train wreck, train wreck. Yeah, and he, yeah, because he's he's his doctor, but he's also remember he's he's gonna do surgery yeah, on Amari, he, and he's like, he's he's he stayed up all night fighting with her, and he's like, what the fuck? Oh yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't like this. Is what's really interesting is like there's there's three things in this movie that are, I think, particularly known to be bad nba actors yeah nba player actors sports movies sort of in general and not that this is a sports movie but it intercuts you know sports into it and gambling i think is a hard thing to pull off i mean there are some really good movies about gambling but there's also a ton of really bad ones um I don't know, for some reason, Matthew McConaughey comes to mind that movie he oh did with yeah, Al Pacino. yeah. <laughs> two for the money uh, yeah <laughs> um so again like just these guys are just like they are not afraid to take risks and like i mean the music in this movie you told me you're listening to the soundtrack which is really cool i mean it's straight out of terminator like that it's a totally different genre of music yeah it can actually kind of that, reminded me of blade runner a little bit yeah it's like a sci-fi like it's a totally different genre of music that just like fits in this movie and that's why i think like all of these things that they did could have just gone the complete opposite direction. Yeah. And I feel like that's just, you have to credit these guys for this. And, you know, you also have to credit them for, I mean, the part of the reason they waited so long to make this movie is because they couldn't get it made. But it, you also kind of got the impression listening to them that they wanted to make sure that they were going to make the movie that they wanted. 
You know, they weren't going to compromise. They they could adjust, but not compromise. To, you know, for to the detriment of the movie they wanted to make. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and kind of, I mean, I, they had. It seemed like they were going to go with a couple other actors when they mm-hmm. couldn't get Sandler, but then they eventually waited for him, which I think ultimately was the right choice. So let's get into that. What did, how, what did you think? How did you think he? Um, again, say I, I have the same my same kind of feelings towards him as I did to the rest of the movie. Leaving, I was just like, God, he was loud and kind of annoying and I didn't like it but I mean not not my favorite performance of the year but really really good I really like Adam Sandler when he decides to do these movies and you know he has a lot of really good serious performances that he's put in I mean we obviously have talked about Punch Drunk Love um, I recently watched the Meyerowitz stories uh, from Noah Baumbach that he's really good in so I like Adam Sandler I hate the stupid shit that he makes yeah. Um, but I like him as an actor, and I like his early comedies, you know, the Happy Gilmores and Billy Madisons. So, you know, when he does a movie like this, and, like, he he pulls off this sort, like, this sleaze bag really nicely. Um, you know, it, so, again, uh, getting away from this movie for a little bit, having a week, like, I'm I'm happy with his performance. It, it didn't blow me away, which I maybe was expecting, mm-hmm. so maybe that led to, a, you know, an initial disappointment, but... I thought he was really good. Uh, I mean, it did blow me away. Really? I, I, yeah, I thought he was incredible. Um, I think it's he's better than um, he was in Punch Drunk Love. Uh, what I somebody made a good point. Somebody from the Ringer, I think, made a great point in doing their um, countdown of the best films of the year. That that like you know, PTA kind of you can tell PTA kind of wrote that movie for Sandler. You know, and and they mm-hmm. did this one as well, but. You know that that Sandler had to sort of come to this film, whereas that whereas Punch Drunk Love kind of came to him. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's really smart. And and it's just it's just a shame because like there's something there's something about Sandler and something about his connection with I think like guys our age, our generation, because you know his yeah, movies definitely. started to you know peak, become really. Uh, you know, he, he we are in like middle school when like ex- happy exactly, just like out, at yeah. the perfect time for for that sort of sophomoric humor. Um, we were just the right age for that, and and so we have this connection to him. And there's, I feel like, even though like I I I'm with you, and uh, I Jer- Jeremy is too, even though he's made quite a bit of money from. <laughs> So I don't has he I don't think he's ever worked on one of Sandler's movies. No, he has. He worked on he worked on one of the grown ups. Oh grown ups, yeah, yeah that's right. Grown ups, um, yeah. But I, I loathe that Sandler does these movies, but like I still love him in a weird way. And I've like never you know, my and and I I'm not sure why, but it is that sort of nostalgic feeling I have for him. And to see and, and that works really well here. Like something you know, the Safety brothers are our age, you know, similar to, to our age, at least the older one is. Um, and I'm sure that they feel the same thing. And those, that sort of unexplained connection, you know, or, or maybe un, unresolved connection we have to Sandler just, um, I think just in, it, it imbibes a, just a ton of, um, kind of empathy for him or sympathy for him. And, um, see, I don't, for me, it's not that for me, it's that like, I look at him like this kind of the same way I look at Nicholas Cage, like, Look, you can do all the shitty crap you want, but I know you're a good actor. Mm-hmm. So I wish you did more. I wish you did more good stuff. Oh, I, I totally love, agree with that. I love the good stuff that you do, and I wish there was more of it. 
if if you have if you have fun doing this other shit, I mean, I actually th- I, I don't know if it's that I don't know why Nicholas Cage does the shit he does. I think Adam Sandler just goofs off and has fun with his friends. I think that's why he does them. Well, he likes um, to work. That's what he said. Yeah. Uh, okay, sure. I mean that. <laughs> then work on good movies. I know. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess just the pay is diff- so much different for. I guess, but you know, I just for me, it's just like I. I like Adam Sandler because he's a good actor. It's it's unfortunate that we, you know, he's famous for another reason. But you didn't fall in love with him because of his acting, I assume. Like you didn't, you know, like Happy Gilmore and and, and I don't know Billy that Madison I'm in love. But that's the thing is, not, I don't know that I have fallen in love with him. Okay. I like him. But I your like affection him. for him, I guess, you know. Yeah, I w- honestly, I would say my affection for him began with Punch Drunk Love. Okay, well, I mean, I I like it. I and I re, I really like Happy Gilmore. That's a movie I probably do have some nostalgia for. Okay, well, that's um, that's exactly my point. So so yes, that that is a factor for sure. But I don't know that I don't think it's as I don't think that it's as relevant as it sounds like it may be for you. Okay. Um, can we get into some spoiler territory? Yeah. So I just want to say before we do, um. I would really advise people who haven't seen the movie to stop listening now. It's there's no twist. It's nothing weird like yeah, that. But like, but definitely, stop. it's such an impactful ending that I would that and you it, you need to be you need to Surprised. not know it to to see it. So stop watching, stop listening now, and and really go and um, you know, watch the movie beforehand. And I, you know, okay. So yes, excellent. I loved it. I loved, loved, loved this ending. Yeah, it, it was, was. It's amazing. I mean, I was so. I mean, you know, you talk about. Remember when, <laughs> when Leo gets shot in um, the head in, in the Departed, and you know, like that millions of of yep. screaming girls cried out. <laughs> like I was the one. I mean, I I was just short of screaming when that when, when you know inevitably Sandler gets killed after the yeah. Ugh. So the parlay, so literally us just watching him watch a basketball game and everything is staked on this bet that he put down that he can win more than a million dollars was also great. He has locked, he has locked uh, his brother-in-law and his brother-in-law's lackeys in the vestibule at his showroom. Um, and they're just watching this game and seeing this parlay bet play out. And I loved that. The energy and excitement there was fantastic. And you're seeing Julia Fox, who was really good in this movie, by mm-hmm. the way, uh, watch it at the casino with that creepy helicopter pilot. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, um, he's, he was riding in the helicopter. Oh, uh, whoever he the was. Pilot. They never let a guy <laughs> like that fly a fucking helicopter. <laughs> whatever. Um, that was really exciting. And then, I mean, here's the thing with the end. Like, I complain about movies all the time when they don't end the way that they're supposed to. And what's funny is it's funny you mentioned Leo and The Departed is is I I referenced this a little bit with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that I didn't feel like the hero's ending was the way that that movie should have ended. And when all is said and done, this movie leads to this ending whether you realize it or not. Like we're not getting a hero's ending here. No. And like you'd be lying to yourself if you didn't say afterwards, yep, that needed to happen. Like that's how that that's right. That was the right way to happen. That was what should have happened. Like I just feel like that is how I left this movie. I was like, yeah, like God, that sucked. Like I really wanted him to win that, have that money, and like be scot free. But you know, well, that's what happens, and that's what was so great about it. Like he and I mean, I don't know the way they did it. You just were not expecting it. 
perfectly done. I just think one of one of the best endings I've seen in a really long time. I know, and it's it's been haunting me. Like I saw this Friday night, and it has been haunting me ever since. Just, ugh. And then and then he kills the brother-in-law too, and it's just like Which, God. This just that got... part that part I didn't like as much though. Why? And that I thought was interesting because that that took it. I don't know because I think I felt like that was a like. <laughs> When he sh- when uh what what is that character's name? It's it's it doesn't matter really. It's it's Arnold's like lackey or whatever. Um, yeah, who's but, like, but he's like a real he's like yeah a real he's tough like a guy. gangster yeah. yeah. But he knows how he to shoot seems, people in, head, in their head. Yeah, but he also he he's a real tough guy, but he sort of seems like a bit of a second rate one. Sure, of course. You know what I mean? Like he definitely doesn't get the good gigs, doesn't work for the good bad guys. No. He just works for Arnold. The ones who aren't like really gangsters, they're just like Exactly. So when he kills Sandler, I got this impression that was like, okay, this guy's blood just boiled. This was a bit of a crime of passion. I'm not 100% sure he's actually ever killed anybody. And that like was really good with that character and then when he kills Arnold like two seconds later I felt like he then just went and he then he just robs the showroom then I then he just went into like undeveloped villain to me and I and I felt like that didn't work nearly as well um so that was a little disappointing that that did take that amazing ending down a very very small notch for me but I um I I just think the whatever that guy's what's that actor's name who um I, I'm trying to remember his name, but anyways, the guy who plays the um, the brother-in-law, who's like just who's so obviously in over his head, you know he um, he's played by uh, Eric Bogosian, um, so he's a I guess according to IMDb he's a loan shark, but um, okay, so fine, uh, but he is clearly so in over his head because he's just like wrapped up in the awful chaos of you know, lending his Howard money, you know, his relative and, you know, has probably been skirted for months and months and months. So he hires mm-hmm. these fucking guys to, you know, help him out. And, um, it just, it's just so clearly in over his head. And then these guys just lose it because they're locked yeah, in backfires on him in yeah. that safe room for, you know, the, an Two NBA finals hours, game. Yeah. Jesus. You yeah. Know. <laughs> um, yeah, and look, maybe there's an example of, you know, because this movie doesn't spend any time allowing you to understand who any of these characters are, I have only that last scene to judge who, you know, that hitman is. What is this? Is it Roman? Is that the... the um, uh, this, <laughs> there's Keith. so many Jewish guys his in this movie. His name is movie. Phil. Wait, the, the, the henchman? Yeah, Phil. Yeah, his name is Phil, but I don't Phil. think that guy's Jewish. I don't think he is either. Keith Williams Richard. Yeah. Yes. He's this not is listed because okay. he's probably actually blown people's Own, heads off. Uh, uh, yeah, and this is his only credit on IMDb, which I feel like there's probably a lot of that in this movie. Um, <laughs> I love this his 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 IMDb bio. Keith Williams Richards is an actor known for uncut gems. <laughs> See full bio. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so so the same is Julia thing. Fox, but she doesn't yeah. fucking kill people. Right. Um. Yeah, I feel like okay, maybe maybe if we knew more about Arnold and we knew more about Phil uh, throughout this movie, then you could justify some of that at the end. Like him killing Sandler is totally justifiable. You get that 
immediately as soon as it happens. But again, I had a little tiny little issue with him killing Arnold. I felt like that maybe just didn't seem like it fit um, the the puzzle here, but mm. didn't didn't hurt that ending really for me. I loved it. Okay. Arguably, maybe a movie where you know the ending really won me over. A movie that I was on the fence of a little bit. Yeah. And the ending just won me over. Oh yeah. Um. All right. Well, what else? What else is there? What? You, what? So you're. I. I mean, I think you really liked this movie. I. I really did. I. I really liked it. Um. And now we're in that territory where we have to be careful. We don't want to spoil the. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so I was thinking that. I was like, be, yeah, it was good. It's good. Don't ask any more yeah, questions. Ask, we're just gonna. We're just gonna. <laughs> uh, we're gonna skirt it all. Podcast. What we actually <laughs> thought about it. But no. I mean. I. Yeah. I. I really liked it. And I mean, it's. Uh, I, I was a little worried that. Uh, I, you know, thinking about my fixies, I start, you know, I, I do this the way I build my list and I don't know if you do it, do something similar, but like I start with the first film I want to include. It's like the only, you know, like lower, lower, lowest down on the list. It's the first film I actually want to acknowledge and talk about. And that was last year was the favorite. And that's such a high bar for this year. And I've been, I've been worried that, you know, if, if, if are we going to get to a point where the favorite is the, you know, last movie you know the 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 worst of the best uh right right but um this the two popes uh, you know i'm encouraged i'm really encouraged um i i do it a little differently i basically just put all of my my categories down and then anything that may have any any chance of even being in discussion like in the worst movie year ever if it, if it could be there, I just write it down. Okay. And then then I'm then when I can start assembling it, I've got hopefully a, a big list in every category that I can then begin to narrow down. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I'll leave it at that. But um, I will say, you know, w- watching the Golden Globes last night, and I know the the Oscar nominations are coming out, and I, it's it's encouraging that nobody really cares about those shows anymore, and they're really just waiting for the fixies. But yeah. it's 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 frustrating or it's discouraging for me because I'm like, Jesus, there's still a lot of movies I gotta see. I know. Well, I mean, 1917 <laughs> won, and it's not even out anywhere that you can see. It. I know that's annoying. Um, but that we should be able to get do, see that next week mm-hmm. or this coming this coming. It comes weekend, out Friday, so. right? So yeah, yeah. yeah so it did pretty good. well at the Golden Globes last night. Um. And that's really the last. I mean, the Little Women I'm seeing, we're seeing this week, or I'm seeing tomorrow. That's really the last like big one is 1917. Then there's a lot of stuff that has has been well received that I have on my list that we still want to see. Sure. Um, but I feel like we're do. I feel like we are doing well despite the fact that there's so many movies to see, and we do this podcast and have the most important award show of the year. And a, we all a, have full other full time jobs. Yeah, I it's mean. a lot of lot to put on our shoulders, especially for Jeremy, yeah. who is uh, I know and now has a new baby. baby and he's got the world's most important uh, uh, award show on his back. It's it's difficult, but um, you know I'm he's I, working hard. I mean, he I know he watched uh, last Black Man in San Francisco the other day because I was streaming. He's committed to seeing 1917 and Little Women in the theater. So yeah, he's you know. Well, I hope he sees this. I, I was thinking he was going to have to be a sort of a tiebreaker on this one, um, but it sounds like we were somewhat in agreement. So that's good. yeah. I know I've come around on it for sure. I like I said, I was disappointed leaving the theater, and it was I was disappointed that I was disappointed, which always happens with you know some of these movies. So I'm I'm glad that time has favored this movie for me and that I've really had a chance to think about it. I, I would really love to see it again. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not something that's realistic to happen before the fixies. Um, 
at this point I have a very short list of movies that I want to watch for a second time and I don't think this one's going to hit the streaming platform early enough for that. But Yeah, and unfortunately, the t- at least two of the movies I need to review are like three and three and a half hours long, so it's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that takes up a lot of time. Yep, yep. All right, well, let's move on. Okay, well, I have one other question. So we did our most anticipated of 2020 last year, or last week. Last week, um, yep. So how, how would we find a film like this? How would we discover a film like this before our two, you know what I mean? Like... That I always, like I in my mind this was a film that I wish we had one of us had had on our list. I don't, did we? Yeah, I don't but think we did. I don't. But this there's always movies like this every year that like you don't hear anything about until a couple months before they're released. Yeah, and and I, I mean it's especially it happening a lot more now, especially with some movies on this that are released on streaming platforms, except for like the obvious ones like The Irishman, like. You know, I, I'm about halfway through watching the report on Amazon. That was mm-hmm. a movie that was, you know, never on my radar at all. And, you know, I, I feel like there's always going to be movies that just pop up like this. And, I mean, look, the the most anticipated lists we do are, I don't know. I think it's more for us to, like, for to have some bragging rights at the end of the year if we got one right oh, than, <laughs> than anything absolutely. else. Yeah. Um, but we're always going to miss some. Like, See, to me, it's the opposite. For me, it's like get really excited about the big blockbusters and, of course, every time they let you down. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. I worked for Geological Survey and uh, went to Kansas. I couldn't stay there. Just couldn't. I don't like to explain myself. Are you an angry man, Henry? About what? Are you envious? Do you get envious? I don't think so, no. I have a competition in me. I want no one else to succeed. I hate most people. That part of me is gone. Working and not succeeding. All my uh, failures has left me. Uh, I just don't care. Well, if it's in me, it's in you. There are times when I, I look at people and I see nothing worth liking. I want to earn enough money I can get away from everyone. So for our top five this week, we're doing our top five anti-heroes. So I'd love to know your criteria, but for me, I had pretty strict criteria on this one. And like for me, it really had to be an anti-hero in the sense that this person is not doing good things. Um, They are expressly doing bad things. Okay. Uh, and, but you still, and another important carrot, uh, carrot there is that you have to root for them. So you're rooting for people to do bad things. Um, and yeah. I, I have different layers of that, but, uh, l- l- let's hear you. What, what are, what are yours? Well, I think, I think I have similar criteria. I mean, I, I, the way I sort of phrased it for myself was in another movie, these characters would be the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, now, 
you know, they are, I think, all doing bad things. Um, what makes them an anti-hero, I think, at least in terms of my list, is the reasons that they're doing them. Okay. Um, it was it was hard. I mean, you go on and search anti-heroes, and there's like 5,000 different types of anti-hero. Like, I don't know if there's a real definition for it. So it was hard to narrow down. But I, it does sound like we at least kind of went in similar directions, but it will that will uh, mm. prove one way or the other when we go through our list. Okay. I actually hope that... You know, we have a lot of differences. Um, you want me to kick it off? Sure. All right. I went with um, Snake Pliskin in Escape from New York slash Escape from L.A. Um, yeah. I mean, he is, you know, look, it's, he's a criminal. Obviously, he's been locked up. I. It's Escape from New York's the first one, right? Correct. Okay. I don't actually think I've seen Escape from L.A. You're not missing um, much. Yeah, I didn't imagine that I was. Look, these low-budget John Carpenter movies, like, I don't know what it is about them, but they are, like, infectious as hell. Like, there's something about them that works so well. Um, and, you know, I, I think this is a really fun movie. Um, and Kurt Russell is the only good actor in him. <laughs> um, but, look, like, he's you root for him from the beginning, you know, and I think it's obviously you have a bad guy. Um so yeah, I mean, I guess that's it. Cool. Okay. Yeah, he wouldn't make my list because he's 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 doing the right thing throughout the movie. Right. Yes. Um, <clears throat> okay. So my saving no- the president. My number five <laughs> is he's only referred to as X X X X, but he is played by Daniel Craig in Layer Cake. I never saw that movie. It's fantastic. You should watch it. It's available really? on Netflix. I it's I love it. Remember when that movie came out? That's uh, Guy Ritchie, right? No, that's uh, or Guy Ritchie. Oh, okay, so Guy Ritchie's yeah, twin. Same thing. Um, Guy Ritchie's producer. Same thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't even know what that movie's about. Then don't worry about it. Let's move on. A cocaine dealer. All right. Cocaine. Um, so looking at my list, I feel like I probably do have at least most of my list is is uh, people doing the right thing. Okay. But my number four is Elizabeth Salander. In the girl with the dragon tattoo. Okay, so yeah, um, but look, I mean, yeah, she's this is more she's doing bad things, but for the right reason. I mean, she like you know tortures this guy that raped her. So okay, um, but she's also you know a hacker. She steals things. She's not exactly a good person. Um, I think really a good definition of uh, antihero. I was. I also really wanted to include some females on this list uh, um, yeah. because. Everything that comes up are are males, and I think Elizabeth Salander is one as a really good example of an antihero. Um, but then, as I looked, female antiheroes. There's articles that pop up saying, "Why are there so few female antiheroes?" Mm. And I was like, "Well, you know what? This is the Get Your Film Fix podcast, and we are all inclusive." So, yeah, now I'm feeling bad. I don't have any women uh, on my list. Sexist. Well, I, it was wasn't antiheroines. <laughs> that that was a great joke by Gervais last night where he's just like, no women have been nominated for Best Director. I just had a conversation with the Hollywood Foreign Press and they vow that will never happen again. They're just going to go back to the old days where they don't let women direct movies. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Okay, so my number four is uh, Travis Bickle from uh, Okay. Honorable uh, mention for me. uh, Taxi Driver. What was that movie he was in? You, um, I just actually watched this over the Christmas break with uh, some family and friends. Yeah, good holiday film. Holiday film. Um, but 
and you know i thought everybody was going to leave after we put it on you know because but everybody was really in, in, infatuated with the film and stayed and, and watched till the end which is you know at our age uh, kind of bizarre but um you know you you fall for him and he he's just he you're so I, I, he's a little bit different because you don't root for him to succeed um but you are sort of sympathetic to him. You don't want him to get into trouble, but you see him like slowly kind of losing grasp of reality and going down a, a, a path he probably can't come back from. Um, are you, as a sort of a side note, are you familiar with, what was the last time you watched this movie? Um, within the last year. Okay. I, actually, I know when I watched it around the time we we reviewed last year when we reviewed um, You Were Never Really Here. Uh, okay. What is your interpretation of the ending? Well, it's funny you ask because I actually think, and it's, maybe this is controversial, but I think the ending, do you mean like the very end with like the letter that he writes or just the- Well, there's the, that. But the shootout. Uh, yeah, I guess everything everything post the shootout. So that's my, so the shootout and like the ending are is my least favorite part of that movie, mm. which maybe is controversial, but- um, I think the end is a dream. I think he dies. I've sort of always thought that. Hmm. Um, because, and I don't know how, like, or I don't know if he dies, but I, I always thought of his, like, this is just like the rest of his fantasy. Like he gets this letter for saving, you know, uh, Jodie Foster. Like that wouldn't, I feel like that wouldn't have happened. Like it just seemed like it was out of a different movie. So I felt like that was never reality for him. Right. And whether, you know, I, again, I don't know that it's cause he dies or whatever. That doesn't really matter. I just think that's just in his mind. Sure. That, like he he saved her, right? Um, but again, that from the shootout on, like especially since the last time I saw it, I was sort of like this part is the least interesting part of this movie. Like you, the the great thing about Taxi Driver is the mood of that movie and like getting in Travis Bickle's head and like the like the like small little weird things that he does and like the dates he takes Sybil Shepherd on like I just think all that stuff is more interesting character study than the you know the bloodbath at the end sure it's I mean I, you're kind of waiting for it to happen but yeah it's um, it's sort of you know it's we, you and I are going to probably have to defend our our uh, opinion on it but you know Joker has a sort of similar ending where mm-hmm. you know he's vindicated in a way um, I don't. Okay, can 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 we just? Uh, I want to. I'm going to put out another warning here, um, in case anybody has just skipped to the top five. Um, yeah, they just can't wait. Give me, give me, give me like. Uh, well, when they skipped over our spoiler territory, uh-huh. um, I want to give a fair warning here and just like give yourself like a a, a quick one minute skip. Um, the end of Joker versus the end of this movie. Uncut gems or, or Un- uncut gems. Yeah, similar thing happens. Like kind but, of. God, like it was so much better in uncut gems. So much better, just so much better executed. Yep. Not to, yeah. not to, so much better. No, you know, not to put too, you know, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, okay, so if you're back with us now, thirty seconds later, you can resume listening to my number three, Jewels from Pulp Fiction. Um, Again, this is uh, somebody that I think in another movie would be the bad guy. Yeah. And arguably is the bad guy in this movie. This but would work it with my criteria, everybody's, yeah, absolutely. Everybody's the bad guy in this movie. Yep. Um, 
But you, especially as this movie goes on, you really start to root for him, and he becomes arguably like your biggest protagonist um, because he's in, he's involved in so many storylines. Um, but I mean, look, like this is obviously there's not a whole lot left to say about Pulp Fiction um, or Tarantino. <laughs> I mean, I just, Tarantino thanked himself last night when he won a screenplay. Said there's nobody else to thank when you write the screenplay. Well, um, <laughs> but he did eventually. I know he did eventually, but um, I just think like, look, he just he does such a good job at writing bad guys. Tarantino does, and I think that's so good and with Jules in Pulp Fiction you're you're so drawn to him you're so interested in like the theatrics of his bad guy and like how he <laughs> decides to perform as the bad guy and I think that's why you're so drawn to him yeah I I, I would say um you with with Tarantino like the the actions of his character is just requisite a prerequisite because of the type of films he likes to make and violence etc are you're sort of rooting for them in spite of their behavior not because of it um yep so yeah okay uh let's see here are we on threes yes sir uh my number three is jordan belfort from oh wow that's great from Damn it. the wolf of wall oh, street that's so good yeah that's so good i did not even think of that in fact i didn't even really think about scorsese which um, aside, I mean, I did think of tra- Taxi Driver, but of course. But, his films are full um, of antiheroes. Yeah, that's a great one, though. Jordan Belfort's great. I mean, he's <laughs> there's no redeeming quality to him. No, none at all. I mean, they even, I mean, what's, ah, uh, that's so good. Because even the scene where he talks about how how he, you know, gave, what's her name, $25,000 when she just needed an advance on her paycheck. Yeah. Just, and, like, helped her get out. And you're like, God, you sleazebag. Yeah. Like, you, <laughs> oh, God, such a good pick. Um. Okay, my number two is is Daniel Plainview from There Will Be Blood. Um, I this is I, I think there are more similarities to this movie to Uncut Gems than you were even giving it credit for. I mean, yes, the tone and story are different, but like the drive and like the you know the the character himself are are so similar. Yeah. Um, and look, There Will Be Blood, maybe the best movie of all time, maybe my favorite movie of all time. This is I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, it was Num- on my, my list. But my number, but, but my number two. I'm going to take it off. Uh, I'm going to replace it for another character you may have heard of, uh, Vito Corleone. Uh, Vito, Vito Corleone from um, The Godfather. So I saw um, Michael on a lot of these. I did lists. too. Yeah, which I didn't like. I didn't, I didn't think like that. that either. Worked. I think you're. I think you're not. I think you're rooting against Michael in a lot of ways. Um, you're sort of sympathizing with him, I guess, but you know you don't necessarily. I don't think you're rooting for him. But with, with the the Godfather, like he's doing all these bad things, but like there's some sort of morality or code there with him. And you, you, he's an elderly gentleman, and you're. I don't know. You're rooting for him in a weird way, but um, yeah, and it's he's sad when a he criminal. Dies. Yeah, yeah, yep. You could say that about the second one too, even. Yeah. Oh, that's that's what I mean, especially in the second one. Um, you're rooting for the young Vito to. To yep. do well, and he's just like is it kill, really just kills one mobster to replace him. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, all right, my number one. Uh, I, I'm sorry to do this, but I got to go back to Tarantino. It's Jackie Brown. Um, and now, which, and oh, j- actually, j- ja- actually, actual Jackie, Jackie okay. Brown in Jackie Brown. Um, and the reason I went for her is again, it was it was fit it was it was the best example of the criteria I came up with with in a different movie, 
she would be the villain. She would be the bad guy. Now, you have a horrible villain played by Samuel L. Jackson in this movie that's a worse villain than she is, but the things that she are she is doing are illegal and wrong and like and as a result people get killed and I just think like but she is a hundred percent the person you're rooting for from the very beginning. Um so and I think it's a little less an example of the you start rooting for her because you're spending so much time with her. It's more that she is so likable. Yeah. And maybe that's not a perfect example of an anti-hero, but again, she's doing bad things. Yeah. And, and uh, I feel like she's just, she's, she's just kind of a product of her environment and, and she's sort of surviving that whole movie. And you see that she's been shit on. She got this awful job and she's got kind of no way out, which she, I think say, tells yeah, Robert Forrester's admits, character yeah. so beautifully. But, um, so you, you understand why she has to do it. Okay. My number one isn't a big, going to be a big surprise, but it's Patrick Bateman from American psycho. I mean, he just, uh, yeah. defines what I, what an antihero means to me. He's just like an awful person. There's nothing redeeming about him except that he's kind of funny to the audience. Um, yeah, it's a great pick, but you root for him inevitably. And yeah, that's my number yeah, one. Yeah, that's uh, that's a perfect example because he's the main character. Like any, there's no denying like who you're watching in that movie. That's that's a, a outside of Daniel Plainview. That's probably uh, one of your better comparisons to Uncut Gems, where it's just look, this uh, is not great. <laughs> he's uh, in fact bad, and but that's who you, this movie's about. Um, uh, Bill Money, I, I almost put on the list. I'm surprised he didn't make your list from Unforgiven. Yeah, he but he's doing he's doing a good thing. I guess yeah, for you money. yeah. Um, well, let's here. I have a I have an answer to our question about Taxi Driver. If you want, okay, sure. Later on, in an interview with Sofia Coppola, Schrader reasserted his belief that Travis survived the shootout, saying a number of people have attributed the ending of Taxi Driver as a fantasy. I don't have a problem with that ending, but it's not what I intended. And in a commentary track for the film, Scorsese himself said that Travis made it out of the gunfight alive and was doing just fine. Well, as fine as a lunatic gunman who's on the verge of another murderous <laughs> breakdown can be. Brilliant. Um, yeah, but that doesn't explain whether or not that that letter from Jodie Foster's parents is real. Like, well, I, I totally buy that, that he made it out alive, but I still sort of feel like in his mind that maybe didn't happen. But this goes to, interestingly enough, to American Psycho as well. Like, the... Yeah, which it's, I have a hard time with still, but... It's so much more fucked up that he, that he lives, or that he's... That it's, that it's real, um, and that this is the response that we have. So, so, you know, the letter from the sort of, uh, where is she from? Like Kansas or something? The I, sort yeah, I of don't like corn pone, uh, you know, classic middle Americans being, you know, praising this guy who murdered all these people in a sort of act of, <laughs> uh, you know, his own kind of self aggrandizing. They, the, you know, middle America just loves that shit. You know, to me, yeah, that's kind that's... of the interpretation. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, God, that movie is more timeless than people give it credit for. Um, all right. That's it. In an hour, maybe. And any thoughts on the Globes last night? Um, I thought they were better. Aside from aside from Taron Egerton winning Best Actor over Leonardo DiCaprio. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what to say. I mean, to me, like that, that that's not going to hold up on the Oscars. So I don't think we have to worry about that. But um. I, I just uh, yeah I think I mean it's it's we're we're in a much better territory than the you know the green books and the and the um, you know Bohemian Rhapsodies of last year so like at least there's nothing I mean, like that. 
I, I will say I haven't seen Rocket Man yet. It's a movie that I think I'd like to try to see. I mean, I like Elton John, so f- as much as I hate biopics, I may be interested in it for that I reason. Love Elton John. But it won Best um, Comedy, right? The uh, did it win the movie? Didn't it? Um, <laughs> should have been better prepared in, for this. In, well, I mean, come on, we it's the Globes. Nobody really. I, mean, I watched um, them. I don't know. I I watched some of it. I can't. I, it's nice because you get to watch these shows and not be up till midnight. Yeah, true. Um, it's uh, let's see, won two Globes, so it won Taron Egerton one and uh, original song. Oh, okay. So what won um, best comedy? Oh, it was it so, was there. It was um, it was uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That did win. I know the yes. screenplay won. It won um, best comedy as well. Okay. Well, anyway, I mean, I I do feel like there's you know you, you got, um. Taron Edgerton winning for Rocket Man. You had Renee Zellweger winning for Judy. I mean, like they—they're still the same old, you know, biopic obsession that you know Bohemian Rhapsody got. Um, there yeah, doesn't appear to be a Green Book this year. Like, I mean, it's hardly the same type of movie. But a bad movie that could win is Joker. <laughs> so yeah. Okay, um, so I do have to say this just shocking. Like Renee Zellweger for that. What's the movie called? Judy. Yeah, I, I just bi- I don't, Judy Garland biopic. I just don't understand these. Like sometimes these awards, they 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 just get this like bee in their bonnet for these films, and like it's just decided, you know, months in advance that this this movie that like nobody saw and nobody is talking about for any other reason but Renee Zellweger is just gonna win. Like what is the deal with that? I mean, it's so there's silly. a lot of it's not uh, popular I'm, and it's not it's not a critic choice either. I mean, it's a, it's it was poorly reviewed. Yeah, it's. I mean, this is a te- a separate piece, but if if you guys can watch the report again, I'm only halfway through, so maybe it. something will change. Oh, you did. Yeah. Can you please tell me how the hell Annette Benning is getting nominated for anything? I, I liked her. Movie? I didn't think she was like. Come on, she's just the. But. She's the. She is the. I describe her as the 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 Ariadne of the report. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, it's like we're in the, the it's like yeah. the CIA. Uh, how, ca- how can you acquire so much information if you can't talk to the CIA? Well, I'll tell you, Senator. Like, come on. Um, but anyway, we're still rolling here. This is just All us. Right. Uh, um, I'm going to stop recording. Well, I got to wrap it up. Hey. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I have been Chapin Hemingway. Lee has been Lee Carlo. Next week, we are going to be reviewing... Actually, it might be this week. We might even get to it this week. That'd be cool. Uh, we will be reviewing Greta Gerwig's Little Women. It'd be nice to have a female-directed movie on this podcast for once in a long time. So thank you so much for listening and look forward to that next week. I'm staying. I'm finishing my coffee. Enjoying my coffee.